Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome to Episode 71 of That's So Second Millennium. This is our interview with conference speaker Sonsolas de la Calle. She is from Madrid. She has had quite the itinerary in her career from Madrid to Pamplona to Chicago to Boston to L.A. to Athens, Ohio. We talk to her about her own experience of being a Catholic scientist and the degree to which she sees her science as a vocation, that she got that sense very young as she was just starting out on the path toward medical school, which she did, of course, very early in the European university system. And we talk a little bit about the challenges that she sees in the field of biology, which has been a common theme among the speakers that we've interviewed. And we talk just a little bit about the difference in culture between where she's grown up and where she is now. So with that, uh, bring you our interview with Sonsolas de Calle. Welcome back to That's So Second Millennium. We're very pleased to have Sonsolas de Calle. I'm sorry, I probably stuck an eye in there, didn't I? Um, my <laughs> French is, is a little rusty at this point. Uh, she is, uh, she's currently at Ohio University. You know, the one in Athens, Ohio. You've heard of Athens, Ohio, right? Uh, dear listener. But, uh, yes. So she, uh, she has quite, she has quite the itinerary to have gotten her where she is. Uh, her PhD is from the University of Navarra. That would be in Spain. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, it would be Navarre if it was in France, I would think. She did a postdoc at the University of Chicago. We've had a lot of people at the University of Chicago connection, uh, speak at this, uh, past Society of Catholic Scientists conference, I think. And she's had positions at the Harvard Medical School, uh, the California State University in Los Angeles, and the Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science in Los Angeles. Did I get all that correct? That's all correct, yes. Okay. But now she is the director of the Office of Advanced Studies at Ohio University. Yes. Okay. And, and her research focus has been on things like memory, neurodegeneration, Alzheimer's disease, neuroprotection, and gene regulation. So a lot of fascinating and really important fields for neuro, uh, neuroscience as it's currently trying to uh, advance and, and give us cures for really frightening illnesses. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So it's, uh, so we'll start off with a little bit about, so that, so I've kind of, you know, I, I've given the part that I can find from a, you know, a CV or a, a website, but what's, what's the actual, what has your life been like in terms of faith and also in science? How do you see, how has your, how has your faith influenced your vocation and how has your vocation as a scientist influenced your faith? Well, um, I uh, uh, did an MDPhD uh, back in Navarre, came here to the U.S. to work with doc with the idea of going back and continuing practicing medicine and that never happened. I guess I got sidetracked in fell in love completely with research, decided to stick it on. Mm -hmm. But very early on, when, um, as you may or may not know, in, in uh, the Spanish system, you go straight into a professional career from high school. So I started medical school at the tender age of 17. Yes. <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting. But um, when I told my dad that I wanted to study medicine, and he was an engineer, and he um, seeked out some other sources of advice and gave me a book 
School um, in Spanish, Vocación Ética and, y otros ensayos, which translates as Vocation, Ethics and Other Essays. And this book by a well-known uh, physician, Dr. Marañón, who was a humanist also, very prolific writer. And in that book, which is a collection of essays, he spells out what he thinks is a call to a professional life of service. Right. So that kind of hit um, a chord with me. Yeah. And, and I thought that um, that professional domain was very coherent with uh, my Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, as, as everybody else, as you go to um, higher education, you are challenged by many beliefs and tenets that people around you support. And being a Catholic is not something anymore that is like um, um, peacefully possessed, but it's something that you ardently uh, strive to um, maintain or develop or else you die. Yes. As a Catholic. And I was really lucky because I very early on uh, met uh, some individuals that were part of a um, Catholic organization called Opus Dei, which means work of God. Mm-hmm. And they pretty much um, uh, make their, their life mission to um, ex- exemplify and, and, and disseminate the idea that. It is through professional work that normal Christians, normal Catholics can reach sanctity. Yeah. So all made perfect sense. Also, it kind of resonated with what I had read in Marañón's book. And that has been a source of encouragement, preparation, ideas, and very deep faith formation where I've been able to study, starting with apologetics and then going deeper into Christian philosophy and a fair amount also of Catholic theology inspired by Thomas Aquinas. So I think that that's where my background has been. And, you know, I I think it's very important to be serious about it. I remember reading or hearing uh, the founder of Opus Dei at one point say that, um, you know, we grow in our professional career. How come we don't grow in our understanding of the faith? And it kind of makes sense. So keeping updated and and current in theological thinking, I think, is essential to really turn my profession as a scientist into a contribution to give glory to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in today's world, as a scientist, and in particular in biology, it seems like there's a very strong headwind, so to speak, in terms of a very secular mindset among the people that you would be interacting with regularly. Yes, and I will even say there is a a very strong um, a concerted attack against God not just against the Catholic faith, but against any idea of a deity, any, any the, the basic point of reference, which is the reality of being creatures, that is, uh, persons created by a creator, that is completely 
um, pushed back and and uh, and there are some people that are very much um, involved into making sure that that idea disappears. Yeah. It yeah. Happened because we know, you know, we're, we're living in the middle of a movie where we know the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to develop, but we do know the end. Yeah. We don't know how bad it gets here in the middle. Well, exactly. Um, but we know how it's going to end. So that's uh, a huge source of hope. Yes. And responsibility for that matter. True too, because uh, what happens between now and then is uh, all of us making, in a sense. Yes, yes, so. definitely. So, so you're originally from France. Uh, is it from southern France? No, I'm originally from Spain. Oh, okay. You are originally from Spain. Okay, okay. I I had looked at your name and I had uh, mistaken it as a. It's one of those names. I guess could be either one. So, what part of Spain are you from? Uh, I'm from Madrid, but you are right. My family. Some part of it originally comes from Belgium, so that's where the founding name comes from. How long ago is that? Very long ago. I have no idea. Okay. Really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a very long time ago, Spain and Belgium were ruled by the same uh, family. Uh, royal. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. A long time ago. So okay, and then you went to the University of uh, Navarra. Would be somewhere near the Pyrenees. Yes, it's in Pamplona. Pamplona. Okay. Okay. With Yeah. Which, of course, in the United States, the only thing we know about Pamplona is that you need to dodge bulls there at least once a year. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. So you did your, uh, you you got your PhD in Spain. And uh, what was was your thesis about or your dissertation? My dissertation was in the aging of the nervous system, a particular area called very esoterically the basal for the brain or the nucleus basalis of minor. Okay. Which is a region that is damaged in aging and Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cold frame is that that region is a collection of brain cells that project throughout the cortex, which is the higher cognitive functions area of the brain, of the human brain. Um, so when that area is damaged, the co- cognitive impairment follows. So I was very interested in studying how that area ages, how it changes with age, and whether that age-related changes would be the same that appeared in Alzheimer's disease or not. And the answer is no. Okay. And Alzheimer's disease is a real disease. It's not just an exacerbated aging or anything like that, mm-hmm. we did find substantial differences. Yeah, it's actually a very distinct thing that happens. Yeah. Okay, okay. And then you went to the University of Chicago after that. Yes. So then I joined uh, Cliff Staper, who was at the University of Chicago then, and he was also interested in the cholinergic system, the basis for the brain. So um, he invited me to join him. So I came with a Fulbright fellowship, sponsored by the, the, both the U.S. and the Spanish Ministry of Education. Two years we came in Chicago, and uh, he actually received an offer to move to Harvard and receive an endowed chairmanship of neurology. So he asked me if I wanted to move with him to Boston and continue working a little bit longer, and I said yes. Okay. I was not in a hurry to go back. Okay. And then... By the time I realized, hey, I've been here, what, three years? Too late to go 
back anymore. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> these rules get in tr- get us in trouble all the time. Ah uh, yes, indeed. Uh, it wasn't easy to make the transition to be a green card holder and then a U.S. citizen, but it did happen. So okay. Here I am. Okay. Years later. So, so you were between uh, Harvard and where you're at now. You were in Los Angeles for quite a for some length of time. Yes, and in fact, I am returning there. I received a very interesting offer um, that I accepted recently. So as of next month, I will be transitioning back to LA. Again. Okay. Okay. I do have to ask. So since I'm from Southeast Indiana and Ohio University is located in Southwest Ohio, it it just it just fascinates me to think of someone from Spain and from Madrid, you know, someone very, you know, urban and European. What has it been like to live in, you know, the very rural Midwest? Well, um, good question. Um, I um, didn't know what to expect since I've always lived in big cities. Yes. And um, to be very honest, I did not see myself um, here for way longer. So that's why one of the reasons I accepted the offer to move back to L.A. I can readily understand that. I mean, we, we do we do fry good chicken out here, but uh, there, there are some of the other cultural niceties that we don't have uh, <laughs> such, yeah. such a yeah. talk of. It's a small place. Um, but it's been, a, it's been a great experience. I've enjoyed working with uh, my colleagues uh, in the medical school and developing their 20-degree programs and encouraging further research among the medical school students and then teaching some very bright undergrads from the Honors Tutorials College mm-hmm. and involved with the rest of the neuroscience community here, but both from my department in biomedical science in the medical school and the biology department has a neuroscience group too. Mm-hmm. So we've, uh, we've built a very nice um, environment with a nice group of students, um, both undergrads and graduate students. So it's been very exciting. Mm-hmm. And it's a, as I recall it, the, your position is associated with the medical school there, and that's actually one of the uh, osteopathic medical schools that we have? That's correct. Or, yes. Do those exist in Europe as well? No, they don't. No, thought, yeah. We don't We never went to that rift. I mean, there is some osteopathic manipulation techniques and groups and whatnot, particularly in Italy, but um, not as a separate group of physicians, they don't exist. Sure. So it's interesting because the postpartum philosophy being very humanistic or trying to be very humanistic is very akin to the humanistic tradition in European medicine. I mean, now we are in a global world and everything is becoming very technocratic. But the way I trained, I think it was much more humanistic. Uh, And in that regard, less uh, technological than the traditional MD training is, has been in the U.S. Yeah, in the U.S., yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's almost what drove the formation of, of osteopathic medicine is that we is that the, the mainline medical discipline went so far in that direction, I guess. Yes. Yeah. So we are moving slowly, but surely we are moving back together. Yeah, 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 that's a good thing. It's almost... It's, Virtue is a mean between extremes. There's a golden mean in all sorts of things. Yes, and it's interesting because over the years, 
I, I also worked at an, another MD school in um, in uh, Los Angeles, and um, I think over the years there's been a concerted effort um, to reach the needs of the population, which means being much more open to support primary care, um, which has traditionally been left a large part to the osteopaths. But for example, this past um, spring, New York University announced that they were going to make uh, medical school free for all. And one of the reasons they want to do that is because they believe that um, the incredible debt that medical school students incur is a deterrent for them to go into less lucrative aspects of medicine like primary care. So they're hoping to, by, by making it debt free, making sure that the best students now have an opportunity to choose things so wish to go into those aspects of medicine that are in very much need yeah. of development. Yeah, so that they could go and be general practitioners in places like Athens, Ohio. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that we need them here. We've got a decent amount of people because of the medical school. Yeah, but yeah. But if, if you imagine Athens, Ohio, without Ohio University, uh, if, you, if you imagine, I don't know, Seymour, Indiana or something, that's... Uh, Right. Yeah. yeah, it would. Yeah, I mean, even somewhere like Portsmouth, Ohio, mm-hmm. back to Pontefract. We we also have in our backyard some smaller communities that have a lot of trouble keeping just a once twice a week clinic open. That's really sad. It's yeah. I'm glad that they're doing that. It's and you said it was New York University of all places that was. Uh... Yes, I am sure that it would be followed by others. But um, it'll be exciting to see what they get, yeah. where students go in, uh, in five years, where they are in, as residents. Yeah. I think everybody's going to be looking to see what happens with that experiment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the perspective of the United States, it seems like so much, so much trouble is driven by higher education and healthcare being these sort of vast black holes down which money disappears at a never faster rate, at least from the perspective of those of us outside. Yes, and I, I don't know, one of those very complicated issues. I remember, I have to share this, this is a, maybe a political statement, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But years ago at the Society for Neuroscience meeting, there's traditionally the society activities within that annual meeting includes a panel on something like neuroscience and society or something like that, mm-hmm. or public, some other more general. And one year, um, one time years ago, there was a panel on the future of healthcare. And I sat at the panel, I mean, I attended the panel, listened to their presentation, and one of the presenters was a staffer for Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. And both at the presentation and as I overheard him chatting with people around him, after the panel, he was boasting that medicine was obsolete and that the ones that knew how medicine should be run were people like him, MBA individuals. And the the level of this disregard for the preparation and the and the insights of a physician dealing with sick people and patients was appalling. So when we ended ourselves in the um, so-called Obamacare debacle, I was not surprised because that's exactly what I had expected from hearing 
this guy talk about what they were designing at that time. Mm. So it's uh, there's a lot of work to be done um, to preserve and highlight and, and present the reality of the human person as it is, not as some ideologues, ideologues or whatever you want to call them would like to be. And that's why this last meeting of the Society for Catholic Scientists, the theme was so relevant and timely. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to care for the entire person. I mean, that's, and of course, given the subject matter, I mean, that's, you know, so much of our, so many of our discussions with uh, with other people at the who, who spoke at the conference have also also revolved around that theme, to some extent, one in, in from different perspectives. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 a definite vocation field, I guess. You could you could certainly say that a place for people who are dedicated to the good of others to to really. Yeah, I think so. So, um, in in the position that you're in, it's it sounds like it's been a very administrative position. Yes. Are you correct. are you going back to a position where you might be doing more research, or is it going to be another? Uh, well, I mean, an administrative position is helping other people do research in many cases. So there's always that. That's exactly how. Yes. So here I've been focused on building the research portfolio of the students and making sure that they were in a in a training environment, in an environment where they could grow. Where I'm, I'm moving back to an institution that um, has recruited me as department chair in health sciences, so I will be able to maintain my own research, probably in different areas. Since, um, in a sense, um, what they call is to develop the new faculty further. It's going to be a very people-oriented kind of position, which I'm excited to take on and build the faculty members of the future in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we need mentorship at almost all stages of our career. It doesn't, uh, exactly get all that much clearer what direction we should take as we get uh, further through the system. Quite the contrary. Yes. So yeah, from that point of view, it will be kind of administration heavy, but we'll see. It's a, it's a fairly new campus of the California state system. And they have great hopes to develop it further and, uh, and expand their program. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I've discovered over the years that I am somewhat of a builder. <laughs> I enjoy challenges. Yeah, that is a, uh, it's, it's, it's an aspect of the scientific enterprise that uh, from the outside can get uh, underappreciated. That there, there needs to be creativity and there needs to be the ability to get people organized toward the same objective. I certainly didn't realize right. the, anything like the extent to which that was important when I was a student. Um, which which campus did yeah. you say that would be? It's the uh, Channel Islands. Oh, which okay. Is in between LA and Santa Barbara. That'll be that'll be beautiful, if nothing else. It is beautiful, indeed. <laughs> I have to find an excuse to go out and visit you there sometime. <laughs> maybe we should have maybe we should have a Society of Catholic Scientists meeting out there sometime. <laughs> Actually, I I suggested that it's like. Maybe um, Thomas Aquinas College may be willing to host. It's right there. It's um, very close by. So if we could leave with just a little bit more in, t- in terms of ways we can protect against uh, these these problems with degeneration of nerves. And uh, what, what, what's a fun uh, topic that you've, uh, you've kept abreast of or something intriguing or promising that you could share with us as sort of a parting? Uh... Well... Actually, is uh, is not new. 
but uh, it's more and more true that physical activity and exercise is essential for mm-hmm. health. So some of the work I'm doing right now, we just got a couple of papers out and two more in the making um, to other manuscripts showing the impact um, of um, um, building muscle, basically. I mean, we are using animal models, mice, but similar similar experiences are being collected by many, many laboratories across the world using human subjects. So definitely there is a need to in, in stress the need for people to be active, to move, to pick up whatever exercise is enjoyable for them. But um, we are turning to too sedentary of a society and that is going to be our, our downfall pretty much. And the, the correlation in the brain is incredible. Mm-hmm. So the still we found out exactly how physical exercise is transmitted to the brain. But there is some recent work showing that lactic acid accumulation, the typical um, shortness that we experience after exercise in our muscles, it, that, that lactic acid is a signal to the brain. Huh. So there is a and there is a balance there. Um, but it does contribute to maintain cognitive function, to maintain our ability to um, properly use executive functions or prefrontal cortex and those areas mm-hmm. of the brain that are essential for successful aging. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's fascinating. So the lactic acid that we get from, and that's a that's a product of fermentation when your cells are attempting to metabolize as fast as they can without necessarily adequate oxygen, if I'm recalling that correctly. Correct. And, and yes. yet that also gets tied into, that, that becomes a signaling chemical to the neurons in the brain. That's fascinating. Yes. Yeah, something so simple. That's so wow. essential. So, yeah. And it's, yeah, it is a really, really simple molecule, too. Yes, but we didn't know because there is plenty of data showing that if you, um, if you recruit a group of elderly individuals to, you know, you, you give them a cognitive test and maybe have them for a month or a month and a half doing a specific type of exercise, just simple aerobic, walking on the treadmill, whatever, then test them again and the evidence shows that their cognitive ability improves. But, but how those two things relate was not very clear. So um, somehow, I mean, part of that is all the better oxygenation of the brain, better um, metabolism and whatnot. But there, could be, there, there clearly is something else happening there. And uh, one avenue for discovery is this idea of lactic acid as the mediator to signal to the brain the levels of energy use and exercise. What? That is, that's fascinating. That was all I was hoping for and more. That's a really intriguing bit of uh, that's yeah. some, something for all of y'all who are in, so inclined to uh, put into Google Scholar or your uh, your database of choice and uh, and uh, read a little bit of literature. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. There is a, is there a couple of uh, recent papers proposing that, that uh, hypothesis. So that'll be a fun, a fun thing to follow up. Well, I so appreciative uh, that you could make time for us today. It's been really, uh, it's been really great to get to get to know another Catholic scholar working and trying to live out her faith in this, in this way. Thank you. Yes. The growth of the Society of Catholic Scientists has been also tremendous 
point of pride and of of, of encouragement. Yeah, sense. yeah, so yeah, definitely. That's it. It's a wonderful yes. thing. Yeah, hopefully leaving behind something to point people in the right direction as we continue to uh, as we continue to find out more about ourselves and the universe that we inhabit. Exactly. All right. Well, with that, uh, I think we'll we'll wrap that up there. And uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Or if you enjoyed this episode, or it made you think, please subscribe to that so second millennium via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your podcast service of choice. <laughs>